Welcome to Engage Boise. We hope that you enjoy this live recording of our Sunday service. Amen, amen. He has come to set us free. Who the Son sets free is free indeed, the Word of God says. Hey, thanks for coming uh, on Easter Sunday. It's such an honor that uh, each of you who came today, you chose to spend your Easter Sunday morning with us. I know there's lots of churches you could have gone to. Pretty much all of them are open. Uh, if they're not open, they probably should rethink their whole strategy. But uh, anyway, it's really good to have you. Uh, you could have just watched from your couch. And if you were at home watching the live stream on your couch, I'm sure there's a good reason. Thanks for joining us. But we're glad you came today. Grateful that you came, chose to spend time at our church this morning. Uh, we believe you're here for a reason. Hopefully you've, you've felt this today uh, if you're brand new. Uh, but family is something that's really important to us. Um, just a teaser for next week. Uh, we're going to be talking about that sort of stuff. And uh, as we end our series surrounding Easter next week, uh, there's going to be a skit that Pastor Murr has prepared. Pastor Murr is the one out greeting you at the, uh, the stand out there. Uh, a lot of churches don't do these kinds of things anymore, but we do them because we have someone who organizes them, and they're awesome. So if you like that kind of thing, you want to be here next week, it'll be fun. And uh, uh, God is always in it. Always a good point to him. It'll be part of the message. So you don't want to miss that. Something else that uh, Pastor Murr heads up is our sack and sew every month. And you're like, what is that? Well, I'm going to explain it to you. Um, you bring a sack lunch, and you bring a sewing machine, and then you sew things. Makes sense, right? 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. every second Monday, and that is tomorrow. So if you are, I guess you're, I mean, technically a man could come. We haven't had any men come yet. Uh, but uh, usually a ladies' event, if you want to come, uh, there'll be people here. We'll have stuff set out. Uh, sometimes I bring something from my house that's, like, torn up to get sewed up. So uh, we'll probably do that. And uh, we would love to have you. If you want some fellowship with some ladies, we'd love to have you tomorrow, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Uh, and they will be sewing here in the kids' room back here. Uh, if you're new to our church, you probably saw out there as we came in on the shelves uh, that if we believe if we love the family, we can change the world. We believe that about your family at home, and we believe that about our church family in this place. Uh, and we believe, I believe strongly, the endless love of God, it can change both your, your family at home and our church family. And you're invited to be part of ours today. Even if it's just for this morning, you're here from out of town, uh, and you'll, you'll never be able to come again. Uh, we're really grateful you're here, and we're grateful. We believe you're part of our family. We include you as part of our family. At the end of service, if you've got kids, uh, we'll give you some instruction on where to meet them as far as the Easter icon. It'll be after church right out here in the grass. Um, and we'll give you some good instruction. Uh, right before that, we're going to be taking communion. Uh, so we have lots of stuff to do. Uh, as you may have seen on that sign outside, uh, or maybe in your little bulletin, uh, we have been talking about the greatest story ever told. Greatest story ever told. At this church, we believe that the story of Jesus' life and death and resurrection is exactly that. It is the greatest story that ever has been, the greatest story that ever will be. And last week as we started this series, Greatest Story Ever Told, we talked about the account uh, in Matthew 21 of Jesus riding into Jerusalem one week before Easter. We talked about how that story has, that part of the story has a major plot twist. Um, just to, you can go back and listen to it, but uh, if you missed it, we talked about how Jesus, he'd gotten to the point in his earthly ministry where 
People knew about him. He had just raised a man, Lazarus, from the dead, so everyone was excited. He had crowds of people following him, and he was making his way into Jerusalem. And this was the point, if this was a movie or like a, a thriller of a book, right? This is the point where the, the grand plan would be revealed, and he would just massively defeat all of the enemies. And instead, what he does is he takes two of his friends, and he says, hey, guys, please go get a donkey for me and bring it back. And I'm going to ride it in Jerusalem. That's the plot twist. And instead of bringing, uh, being uh, conquering and destructive, uh, Jesus brings peace and surrender. It's the first part last week. I encourage you to go find it if you want to. All of it leads us towards what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, you know, as with any story, uh, there is more to the story than just the part that we focus on the most. Now, the world at large... You've probably heard about it today. The world at large mostly knows about the birth of Jesus around Christmas and the death and resurrection of Jesus around Easter. That's why we're here. That's what we're talking about. Now, I'm not saying you believe it, but whether you believe it or not, you've probably heard of it. And what you might not know, though, is that there's much more to who Jesus is than just those two small events. Well, not small events. Those two events that everybody knows. Now, we spend a good chunk of the year here on Wednesdays and Sundays uh, and we are talking about the rest of the story. And the story of Jesus, it's actually a lot like most of our well-known stories in our current culture. Take, for example, Star Wars. We have anyone in the place who's seen Star Wars. A few people are lying because pretty much everyone has seen Star Wars. Now, Star Wars, even if you have never seen it and you don't plan on seeing it, you know about it. Right? Uh, if you've heard of Star Wars, you've probably heard of Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. Right? These two guys. Um, you know, Luke Skywalker and his dad, Darth Vader. Sorry, I spoiled it for you if you've never seen it. <laughs> now, I've always liked Star Wars, although I wouldn't consider myself a super fan or anything. Uh, for some of you, right, uh, who've been alive for a while, Star Wars begins and ends with the three movies that came out, 1977, 1983. The first three, right? The old ones. Some of you, they did this genius thing in the late 90s. They re-released them with, you know, like better editing and made them look all fancy and put them on the big screen. They re-released them in, in the late 90s, early 2000s. They made three more Star Wars. They're like prequels. Um, uh, our daughter, Christina, was playing bass today, and uh, we adopted her. And when she came to live with us, she just had been in the kind of house that they hadn't really... Uh, you know, seen anything like that, uh, the cool movies that a dad would show a daughter. So uh, my wife is a tax accountant this time of year. She works a lot. So I just took it upon myself to show Christina all of the cool movies that any self-respecting dad would show his daughter. Took it, at a, took it as a chance to watch, I think there were six of them at the time, all six Star Wars movies, uh, introduce her to them. Mostly she fell asleep while I got to watch them again. That really was what it actually was. Now, all you might know about Star Wars is, uh, you know, the part from, from when you first saw the movies. You might know there's space pirates, magic swords, cool ships, some weird thing called the Force. Or you could be on the opposite side of the spectrum. There's probably a few of you today where all I need to say to you is, this is the way. Say, this is the way, and then the floodgates are open to this universe of Star Wars. If you don't know, they've made all sorts of new Star Wars stuff. There's a show called The Mandalorian. I don't know if I would have seen it, except I have two sons who are seven and nine, and they love The Mandalorian. My point in talking about uh, space pirates and magic swords on Easter uh, 
is that those parts that everybody knows, Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader, and the Force, and the Millennium Falcon, those are the basis of the story, and that's the part you've probably heard. But it's really just the jumping off for a universe of stories. And this morning, we're going to talk about the Easter story, the part that you likely have heard before. But I believe God wants us to know, he wants you to know today, that the story goes much deeper than that. We said last week, and I believe this to be uh, true wholeheartedly, that as humans, we are participating in the story of bringing heaven to earth each day. When we sang those songs earlier, we worshiped the Lord, we're participating in the story of bringing heaven to earth each day. And this morning, when it comes to the story of God and his son and us, I want to talk for a moment about three things that because of the greatest story ever told, they're gone. First one of those this morning I want to talk to you about is fear. All of us, if we are honest, we would say that there is something we are afraid of, right? Everyone, if they're honest, would say that they are afraid of something. If you say you are not afraid of anything, then you are afraid of being honest. Uh, some things people are afraid of, right? A lot of people are afraid of heights. Uh, my, we, my sons and I went to the Boise State Spring Game yesterday, and if you don't know, they got this big, giant new scoreboard, and they got to be able to get up there to work on it. I mean, it's hundreds of feet up there, and uh, they also send people up there to film, practice, and things, and my son, Luke, he's seven, he said, Dad, there's a guy up there. It's like, I know, isn't that awesome? You want to go up there someday? And he was like, no, Dad. <laughs> Heights are something you're scared of sometimes, right? Spiders are a pretty common thing that people get scared of. Public speaking is something people are afraid of. I always think it's funny that public speaking statistically is the number one thing people are afraid of, followed by death. So if you're at a funeral, statistically speaking, you're more afraid of giving the eulogy than you are being in the casket. You believe the statistics. I've got some random fears this morning that might interest you. Uh, I just warn you, some of them are hard to pronounce, so if I butcher the names, sorry. One of them is arachnophobia. That is the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. I mean, it's a real thing. Uh, this one, I think I've talked about this one before here or somewhere else, but it's called a nomophobia. Nomophobia, and that is the fear of being without your phone. There's some teenagers probably that have nomophobia, right? Uh, this one is interesting. There's one called octophobia, O-C-T-O, octophobia, and that is the fear of the number eight. This is a real thing. Uh, people have octophobia, and interestingly, eight is one of the only numbers it happens with. It doesn't happen with a whole bunch of other numbers, but eight it does, and they call it octophobia. Now, this one is the hardest to pronounce. Uh, it is hippopotamonstrosoquipedelophobia. Now, by reading that word, you would think that that is the fear of hippos, right? But what it really is, is the fear of long words. <laughs> it's, it's a real thing. Uh, there's a couple more that are, are real, but they sound made up. Uh, Aphebophobophobia, that is the fear of kids. I think someone who just had it with their kids made that one up. <laughs> and then finally, there's phobophobia. And that one is the fear of phobias. <laughs> I think someone who just wanted to mess with people made that one up. All I'm saying is that on this earth, fear is something that we are all acquainted with. We're well acquainted with it. And you see, the Bible says that the enemy, the antagonist in the greatest story ever told, Satan himself, 
says he's the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2. He's the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Paul also says, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that Satan is the god of this world. The, the enemy does have some authority and some power on the earth. He can do some stuff if he wants. And we can joke about it all we want, but there are real things that we as humans actually fear. Even when we're long past something that might have been painful for us, that we had hoped we might never encounter again, there are reminders that come. A lot of people say that smell is something that brings back a vivid emotion or a vivid memory. I personally have almost no sense of smell. I, don't, I haven't for as long as I remember. So that doesn't work for me, but a sound is likely to. I heard something this last week. It was a sound that immediately, I mean, it was momentary, like a second, and it transported me back to a time when there was a lot of fear in our life. Um, and I felt it all for that five seconds. My heart beat fast. I was fearful. And we know from God's word, what Ephesians 6, chapter 12, or 6, verse 12 says. This is the New Living Translation. I'm reading you. It says this, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. You see, what we must understand, friends, is that fear is a tool that the enemy Satan, he wants to use against us. Fear is a tool that he wants to use against you. But here's the thing. When we know where fear comes from, we can understand that it doesn't have to have any power over us. You see, we must understand that fear itself, fear comes from the unknown. Fear comes from not knowing what lies ahead of you. Fear comes from not knowing what's going to happen to us or our family or in our job or a given situation tomorrow or next week or next year. And it's this trick that Satan likes to use against us. He does it now in 2023, and he's been doing it since the beginning of time. Remember when Eve was tempted in the garden in Genesis by the serpent. Now, Eve was afraid that there was something she didn't know. That's what the serpent came and said, hey, if you, there's stuff, knowledge you don't have. If you eat this fruit, you can know it. But if you don't, you won't. And she was afraid there was stuff she didn't know, so she ate the fruit. Fear also comes from not understanding the truth about what God thinks about us. And what the enemy, who's the prince of this world, would have us think, what he would have us think about what God thinks about us is that, that you're too far gone. The enemy would have us think uh, we're too sinful, that our life is too broken, our heart's been broken too many times. The enemy would have us think that we are unworthy of God's love or affection. Too unworthy to ever be redeemed. And the truth is that the living God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, rich in love. He feels all of that towards us. That's what his word says. Friends, I have really, really good news for you this morning. And that is that perfect love casts out fear. That's in the Bible. Perfect love casts out fear. And perfect love comes from a perfect sacrifice. Perfect love casts out fear, and perfect love comes from a perfect sacrifice. You see, right before Jesus was crucified, what we are celebrating uh, and honoring this week, he said this prophetically. This is John 15, 13. Jesus says this, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. 
See, what we must understand is that in the week between Palm Sunday, what we celebrated last week, and this morning, what we're celebrating this week, between Palm Sunday and the morning he rose from the grave, Jesus experienced every fear-inducing situation possible on our behalf. I'm talking through that. Jesus, you see, in that week, he was betrayed by his best friends. He was betrayed by his best friends at the time when he was in the most danger. You may have heard the story, right? His most outspoken disciple, Peter. When Peter was challenged, he would claim three times he didn't know Jesus after Jesus had been arrested. And this is after Jesus had warned him it would happen. Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, never. Never, Lord. I'll die with you. And he denied him three times, the third time by swearing. You can find the accounts of it in Luke chapter 22. Jesus, on Palm Sunday, what we celebrated last week, uh, he was cheered by people on his way into the city, only to be mocked by a crowd days later. And some of those people who welcomed him into the city in Jerusalem, they were surely in the crowd calling for his crucifixion. Probably not all of them, but some of the same people were there. Jesus, in that week, he was accused of and punished for a crime that he did not commit. If you have your Bibles, friends, let's read together Luke uh, 23, uh, 13 through 24. Uh, we'll have it on the screen for you. Uh, I'm reading to you this morning out of the NIV. <clears throat> Luke chapter 23 says this. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found, <clears throat> have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he... Sent him back to us, as you can see. He has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, away with this man. Release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time, he spoke to them, why, what crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Friends, we know on this earth, we talked about it a few minutes ago, we know on this earth that there can be much to fear. We can fear betrayal, betrayal by those close to us. We can fear people believing things about us that are not true. We can fear losing those who are close to us. We can fear being unjustly accused or punished. We can fear all those things. But I believe, friends, and we just talked our way through it, that Jesus experienced on earth every fear that is common to us in that week. He experienced betrayal by those that were closest to him. The 12 guys that were supposed to be closest to him defend him at any cost. They abandoned him. Jesus experienced public ridicule. Jesus experienced separation from his earthly family. Jesus, uh, he suffered physical harm as a punishment for something that he plain and simple did not do. He did all of this while remaining without sin, the Bible says. But here, 
here's the wonderful part, and that's this. So when we know Christ, in Jesus Christ, he's here to meet us today. Jesus took that fear with him to the cross. All that fear that we can uh, experience, all the fear he experienced, he took it with him to the cross. John 20, 28 uh, says to us that as he hung on the cross, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And part of that mission of Jesus was to take our fear that we would feel, take our fear upon himself. Because he did that, we don't have to live with it today. That leads us directly to something else that is gone because of Jesus today, and that is simply death. Death is gone because of Jesus today. You see, friends, Jesus not only took fear with him to the cross, but he defeated it in the grave. Uh, Turn with me, uh, John chapter 20, uh, verses 1 through 9. Reading to you that out of the NIV, we have it on the screen for you there. The empty tomb. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now, there's so much... Uh, good and deep stuff in there, but man, what a scene this must have been. I want you to notice for those that want to marginalize women that Mary Magdalene, woman who'd been forgiven, she was one of the first ones to realize Jesus had been raised from the dead. Also, I always think it's funny here that you, you heard in there that he kept referring to the disciple whom Jesus loved. Well, that's how John refers to himself when he, in his own gospel. And he has to note that he won the race to the tomb. Right? He's a human. He has to know, I won the race, Peter. I beat you there. But what a scene this must have been, right? These disciples, not just these two guys, but all 12 of them. Not only them, but uh, Jesus' earthly family, everyone connected to him. They had just experienced what they thought was their worst fear come to life. The New Testament tells us that in many cases, these guys, they had left everything to follow him. Left their jobs. Mary, the mother of Jesus, she had seen her firstborn son, who she had painfully brought into the world, brutally killed before a fake trial. We're reading some of the other Gospels that she was at the tomb as well. Surely, Mary, the mother of Jesus, the earthly mother of Jesus, she knew that he was different, but there's no way that she thought it would end like this. And Sunday morning finds Mary... The most hopeless place a parent can probably be. Doing what any of us would probably be doing if we'd seen what we'd just seen. She's gone and she's going to take care of the grave of her son. You see, friends, the greatest story ever told, and it's the story that we can choose to be a part of today, is that Jesus brings life to even the most hopeless places. If you feel hopeless, 
Jesus can bring life to your heart today. Every other person in the history of the world since then has gone to the grave for only one reason. You only go to the grave, to the tomb for one reason, and that is to die. But Jesus, he went to the grave and he did what only he can do. He went to the grave and he brought life. He went where dead things are and he brought life. Jesus went to the place that's most associated with death. You want to talk about places that strike fear, a cemetery would be high on everyone's list. Jesus went to the place most associated with death, place that strikes fear in just about everyone. Now look at the evidence here. There was no chaos and no screaming. You would think if someone rose from the dead, right, it's like it's a ghost and people screaming. No evidence of a struggle. The stone, the big stone they put in front of these tombs, they put a heavy one there on purpose so they couldn't steal his body. There was no evidence of a struggle, and the stone had been easily rolled away. No sign of footprints or some complicated system that they would have had to use in order to roll that thing aside. It mentioned in that scripture we read, the strips of linen that had wrapped Jesus' body, they were lying neatly there. Something interesting about those, interesting about those is they often were stolen because they were worth money. People would go in and rob the graves and take them. The cloth that said in there that had been around Jesus' head, it was folded perfectly. Almost like he'd been prepared for this moment. You see, in the grave that day, darkness had turned to light. Darkness had turned to light, and what had been meant for death had turned to life. And this morning, friends, I don't know why you came here. You can be assured that the words to the old song that you probably have heard uh, are 100% true. The song says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. What's that next part? I say, because he lives, all fear is gone. That fear that we talked about a few moments ago, that fear that I felt, and I know the fear that you've probably felt, that fear that you're not good enough, fear that you've blown your chance, and Jesus took that fear from the cross on the hill called Golgotha, and he took it to the grave with him. But he didn't just take it. He left it there in the grave. And instead of bringing that out, he brought with him freedom, and he brought courage. See, friends, one of the miracles of the greatest story ever told is that when we accept Christ, we get to cease trying to be good. When you accept Jesus, friends, you get to stop trying to be good. Because as Psalm 23 says, it's another scripture you may have known, right? Psalm 23 says, surely God's goodness and mercy will go with us all the days of our life. We get to stop trying to be good because God brings his goodness. You see, we know that death is gone because Jesus not only went to the grave, but he rose and came out of it. And we, in 2023, we don't have to contend with death any longer. When we accept Jesus into our hearts, we don't have to contend with death any longer. And the beautiful scripture that becomes true in our lives, John 3, 16 and 17, says this, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Listen to this part. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Jesus didn't come to judge you. God is not judging you. He sent his son to save you. Our physical body, someday, it will pass away. 
uh, unless the rapture comes first. But our spirit, when we give our hearts to Jesus, our spirit lives with the Father forever. You see, church, the greatest story ever told is that because of Jesus, death has no power over us. It has no power over me, and it has no power over you. So fear and death are gone. One more part of this incredible story this morning is that because of Jesus, the third thing that's gone is our old life. Our old life. I think this might be what you call burying the lead because the sign outside says the old has gone. But we hadn't really mentioned the phrase until now, until pretty close to the end. But we really must understand how miraculous uh, exactly what Jesus does is. Because you see, when Jesus came to earth, he defeated fear. He brought life to the grave. Jesus didn't do it so we could become better, but he did it so we could become new. He just didn't come to make you a better version of yourself. He came to make you a brand new person. I believe we can think of our hearts and our lives like a precious vase or vase if you're really, uh, you know, sophisticated. I don't know which way to say it. This vase sits on a shelf that seems really safe. It's really expensive. It seems really safe. But a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old, they decide they'd like to play football in the house. And it was fine when they were five and three because they were much smaller. But now they're much too big to be playing games like this in the house. This is only my house and not your house? Anyway, the vase, it falls off and it gets broken, shattered to pieces. Now, it's technically possible if the vase falls off and shatters, it's technically possible for the pieces to be carefully picked up. It's possible to take the parts that are shattered into bits too small to be filled in with other material. It's just something people can do. The cracks that are evident where the pieces come together, they can be painted, smoothed over. Maybe they can even compare it to a picture of the vase before it fell so they can make it look similar to how it was before it was broken. If someone who really knows what they're doing, they might be able to get it pretty close as long as the damage uh, isn't too bad. And this is what happens uh, in our life and with our hearts. We can be as careful as we like in this life. But I have news for you. If it hasn't happened to you yet, it will. Someday, someone or something's going to come barreling by, and they're going to break your heart. With enough work and enough time, we can probably patch it up. But what Jesus does and what only Jesus can do is he comes and he makes the vase brand new. Devoid of the cracks and the imperfections, he makes it as beautiful and perfect as it ever was in the beginning. He does that with our hearts. And the Bible is very clear that this gift of new life, it's available to every single person here this morning, every person that's listening. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, how far you've strayed, new life is available to you today. There's two scriptures I want to share with you this morning that they really, really clearly tell us how it is that we receive this new life. How it is that we uh, allow Christ to make our hearts new. These two uh, scriptures are so important to understand how uh, the way it works. Romans 6.23 says this. It's on the screen. That the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. And Acts 3.19 says this. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. 
that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. See, there's two really important things there, friends. One of them is that the wages of sin is death, and we are all sinners. And the other part that's important is that we must repent and turn to God. And when we do that, our sins are wiped out. What it takes for us to have new life is repentance of our sins. And I have really awesome news for you. It sounds like a great thing, right? A new life. I have awesome news for you. You don't have to pay a fee. It costs you zero cents and zero dollars. You don't even have to join a church. We're super glad that you're here today, but if you never darken the door of this place again, you can have new life. You don't even have to wear special clothes. I wore my fanciest suit jacket today. You don't have to wear one to know the Lord. All that repentance looks like is saying to God within your own heart, God, I'm a sinner. God, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And would you please forgive me? You see, we do that, and then we ask Jesus to go with us. And when we do this, when we, we say those things and we ask Jesus to go with us, something changes within us. Something changes inside of us. It's not that trouble goes away because it doesn't. But suddenly it's not the burden that it was. We don't suddenly become perfect model people. But our actions do change as repentance does its work each day in our lives. And this is where... Circling back around, it's like one of those stories where everybody knows the main parts, but there's actually more to it uh, than you may have ever known. It's not just something that happens in this room, but because Jesus is alive, he's not in that grave, the story, it goes with us and it begins to change our days and our nights and our comings and our goings. And it's not something we can explain except to say that something supernatural begins to change us from the inside out. And there is a scripture that becomes true in our lives. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. See, fear is gone when Jesus comes and Death is gone when Jesus comes. But the third thing that is gone when we accept Jesus is who we used to be. It's not just fixed and made better like the shattered vase. It's made brand new. Like it was never broken. And that's why this is the greatest story that's ever told and one that never stops being written. That's why it's the greatest story ever told. And we'll talk more about it next week. But what happens next in this story is that after Jesus rises again, he appears to many people on the earth. He comes and he speaks his peace into their lives. You could bow your heads right where you are. Getting close to uh, taking communion this morning. And when we accept Jesus into our lives, friends, we return uh, to our place as a son or daughter of God. You see, when Jesus rose from the dead, he returned to right where he was supposed to be, which was the right hand of his father. When we accept Jesus into our lives, we return to our place as a son or daughter of God. That's what the New Testament says that we are all sons and daughters of the Most High God. This morning, in a, in a few moments, we're going to end our service by taking communion together. You've heard me talk a lot this morning about Jesus and repentance. and I want to give anyone who has never repented of their sins, never accepted new life, never become a Christian, 
never accepted what Jesus brought by coming to earth, living a life with no sin, dying and rising again. I want to give anyone um, who's never accepted that and you feel the Lord moving and speaking, I want to give you a chance to accept that today. So if you want to become a Christian for the first time ever, uh, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, we're not looking around, it's just me and I'm not going to call you out. Just want to be able to pray with you. If you want to become a Christian for the first time today, would you just slip your hand up across this place? We're about to take communion here at the end of service. What communion is, is it's a chance for all of us to renew our commitment to Christ. It's a reason we're doing it at the end of service. They want to give each of you a chance to say this morning um, that you belong to Jesus. If you're here this morning and uh, you've known the Lord, but if you're honest, you're far from Him, you'd like to come back to Him today, we're going to take communion in a moment, and that's going to be where you seal it. I'm not even going to ask you to say a prayer, but if you're here this morning and you want to acknowledge to God today, uh, yes, Lord, I want to return to you. Once again, would you just slip up your hands so we can know to pray for you and agree with you on this Easter Sunday. We're going to move towards taking communion this morning. I want you to know, friends, if you're far from him, uh, far from Jesus, as we get to take communion, you can give your life to him anew. I'm going to read you this scripture from 1 Corinthians before Pastor Almeida sings. And leads us and we begin to pass it out. Our ushers can get ready. The scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And it tells us what we must do before we take communion, which is what we're going to do to close our service today. It says this, so then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. This is the part we want us to focus on. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Friends, this morning I encourage you as our ushers make their way forward and they get ready to pass out communion to examine your heart. If you've never repented of your sins or if it's been a long time since you have, repent of your sins. Just between you and God, whisper a prayer. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Accept you into my life. If you've known God for a long time but it's been a struggle, I encourage you to seek repentance this morning. Uh, offer forgiveness to those whom you may need to offer forgiveness to. Let's reflect on the body and blood of Jesus as Pastor Almeida leads us and we pass this out. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit us at engageboise.com. Have an amazing day.